evidence and answers. As we head into the Easter season, where around the world we celebrate and observe a glorious event. As Christians, we know that without Christ dying on the cross for our sins, we would not have the hope of eternal life. God is holy, and only through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we do have a hope that we will live forever in eternity with Him. What a joy we have to celebrate. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our broadcast, Pat will share a message entitled, He Chose the Cross. Now, here's Pat. All right, turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to John chapter 18. And we want to welcome all of you here tonight to this Good Friday service, friends and family and visitors. Easter represents one of the best times to share about the good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And so this week I have been on radio and in front of live audiences making a defense, present the evidence for the historical reliability of the Gospels and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we had some great radio shows this week, live and pre-recorded. And also I was in front of some audiences. One was, I think, the Iolani High School students. I was told it was going to be the high school students, but all their parents showed up, and they brought the rest of their family. So we had little kids all the way up to grandparents there, and it's something we call the lion's den, where I present my case for why I am a Christian, doing about 15 minutes, and then we field questions for about 45 minutes, and it was a whole lot of fun. We had some great questions from if God exists, why is there evil and suffering, to issues of faith and science, the resurrection. And we had some really cute questions. Some of the younger kids got into it, and they raised their hands. And one kid asked, is God rich? And so that was a creative question. And then the next kid asked, what kind of video games are in heaven? And all that stuff. And so as sophisticated as issues of science and philosophy all the way to those. So we had a great time. But it's been fun presenting the historical evidence for Christ. And uh, if people knew just the compelling case that we have, be great for every Christian to learn that really enhance the power of your presentation of the gospel. But if you want to get equipped to learn the evidence for Christ and how to present powerful arguments for our Lord and Savior. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and listen to some of the top scholars. I recommend Dr. Gary Habermas and William Lane Craig, the top men on the resurrection today, both with dual PhDs. Fantastic articles by them and others at evidenceandanswers.org. And can I recommend a great book? by someone you might know. You can get your copy back there. Pastor Jason has made it available for you. And you get the Mililani Community Church discount. A lot of good stuff there for you. Well, as we begin John chapter 18, this is the story on the arrest of Jesus Christ, the night of his arrest. So as we begin, let's pray together. Father, help us to discover the wonder of your love through this story of your arrest there that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, we pray we'd come to understand the greatness of your love and all that you did through this story. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in great stories and movies, the most anticipated part is the final confrontation, right? When the hero 
finally faces the villain, or the forces of good and evil finally meet in one final battle, or when the hero comes to face his greatest challenge. And in John 18, we come to the final confrontation here between Jesus and the religious establishment of Israel. Now, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus has made two prior trips to Jerusalem in John chapter 2 and a second trip recorded in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. Now, in John chapter 2, in his first trip, that's the trip he goes to Jerusalem in the first year of his ministry. He sees the temple and it's filled with, it's a marketplace where they are extorting money from the Gentiles, and he gets angry at what's going on, and he overturns the temple, and there begins a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders there. And at that, when he overturns the temple, the Pharisees and the religious leaders come to him and says, what gives you this right to do this? You know, what sign will you show us that you are a messenger of God? And he said, destroy this this temple in three days. Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. All right, and he was talking about his resurrection. Now, in his second journey, once again, he meets the religious leaders, and there's another hostile confrontation with the religious leaders, and here Jesus announces even more clearly, he is indeed the unique, one and only, divine Son of God. And if what he is teaching is true, then their religious system is coming to an end. In this confrontation was even more stronger because now he began to expose their false teachings and their false practices. And if he is indeed who he said he was, the unique divine son of God, that religious system was coming to an end. So this time, the Pharisees tried to arrest him, and that's recorded in John chapter 7. However, this attempt ended in an embarrassing failure as Jesus rebuked the religious leaders and exposed their hypocrisy and their falsehood. And they did not lay any hands on them. Tremendous embarrassment to them. However, this only angered the Jewish leaders. And they were waiting till next year. They said, all right, you got us this time. But next year, when you come back for the Passover, we're going to be ready. And we are going to be waiting. And so this is the third trip to Jerusalem here in John chapter 18. And this is the one Jesus knew he was going to his death. We know because six chapters before in John chapter 12, when Greeks came to meet Jesus, Jesus knew being the divine son of God, he announces that his hour and his, the time of his death has come. Now, when he arrived then to Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders were looking for an opportune time to arrest and kill Jesus. But they were afraid to do so because of the crowds, Matthew 26 records. So they needed a place because the crowds loved Jesus. They loved listening to Jesus. And they knew that there was something special about him. Many thought he was a great prophet. Many thought he was the Messiah. So the crowds were there in Jerusalem. So what they needed, what the enemies needed, was a time and a place away from the crowds. A time where they could be in isolation and they could make the illegal arrest of Jesus. So that's what they're looking for. 
So they are there in the darkness of the night, plotting and scheming, looking for a way to get Jesus. And as his enemies await their opportunity, Jesus and his disciples gather in an upper room for one final meal. This is called the Last Supper, where they celebrate communion, what we'll be taking tonight. And it's at this dinner, in John chapter 13, Jesus announces, one of you will betray me. And they all start going, who? Who is that guy? And he points, and he, he says, the guy I give this plate to, and he points out Judas Iscariot. Judas then bolts out of the door and frantically attempts now to put his plan to turn over Jesus uh, to the authorities together, knowing that his time is very short because now he has been found out. So he's out in the night scrambling to put his plan together. And here in John chapter 17, the chapter before, Jesus gives that wonderful, what is called the high priestly prayer on behalf of his disciples. And they leave the upper room and the safety of Jerusalem, and they go out of the city. Now, if Jesus had remained in the city of Jerusalem, he would have been safe. But it seems he makes a fatal mistake here, and he leaves the safety of Jerusalem, and he heads out of the city. It seems Jesus has made a fatal flaw here and is falling into the trap of his enemies who are awaiting for that moment when he is away from the crowded city of Jerusalem, away from the crowd, isolated, where they can make their illegal arrest. However, despite all the plotting and scheming of his enemies and what looks like a mistake on the part of Jesus, Jesus is actually in charge. And all the events that are taking place, he is actually in control of. And in this final confrontation, Jesus actually selects the place of meeting. We see in John chapter 18, he says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples to, across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew of this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Hey, during the feast the Passover feast, the city of Jerusalem was swollen with pilgrims. Jewish historian Josephus estimates that there would have been about two and a half million people in the city of Jerusalem during this week. Normally, the city of Jerusalem has about 80,000 people, but at this time, there's over two and a half million there crowding in the city of Jerusalem. And the religious leaders, of course, were afraid of the crowds. So had Jesus remained in Jerusalem, he would have been okay. But he goes out of the east gate of Jerusalem and to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Right? Because the city was so crowded, there's probably no hotels that are open. And so many people would sleep outside the city. And Jesus and his disciples went outside the city And we can see from the text, the Garden of Gethsemane is the place where they would gather at night and spend the night there. Luke chapter 21 tells us that that's where he and his disciples would spend the night during the Passover week. 
You see, except for the Lord's Supper, we never read about Jesus staying in Jerusalem overnight anywhere. So during the Passover week, when Jerusalem was crowded, Jesus and his disciples would go to the garden to spend the night. Now it says here that Judas gathered a squad of Roman soldiers, the officers, priests, and the Pharisees. Now at this time, because Jerusalem is crowded with pilgrims coming from all over parts of the world to celebrate Passover, Pilate lived three days north up in northern Galilee, in northern Israel, in a place called Caesarea. That's up north along the Sea of Galilee. But he would make that three-day walk and come to Jerusalem during the time of the Passover with a sizable army to control the crowds in case some kind of riot broke out. Now, here is a reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem at that time, the temple. Mount, of course, is the central figure of the city. Now, next to the Temple Mount is something that really ticked off the Jews. But here is the Antonia Fortress. This is where a squad of Roman soldiers would stay. And if anything happened, they could quickly come out, whether it's in the temple or right around the temple where the action usually was, and control the crowd. So you had a squad of about 600 guards in here. All right, so Judas probably ran over there and secured some guards at the Antonia Fortress. Right? It says here in the text, a squad of guards. Now, a squad of Roman soldiers has about 600 men. Okay? Now, most scholars think all 600 didn't go. The number was probably much less. Right? Then the temple guards also accompanied the Roman soldiers. And in John 7, they probably, because they failed the first time in John, Judas made sure the Roman guards were with them. And the Pharisees also came and joined them. So you put it all together, there were a few hundred people that came to arrest Jesus that night. Now, here's the Garden of Gethsemane there. Now, the mob came, and it says they were fully armed with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Obviously, they were expecting Jesus to try and escape, right? And in this garden... You can see there's many places to hide and duck out. In fact, he could probably see those torches coming from where he was, and he could have easily gone east or west and escaped the crowd coming. He could have easily escaped, all right, or hid out. And the Roman soldiers didn't know what Jesus looked like, so they would need Judas to identify Jesus for them. Now, the success of this mob, they thought, was due to their lightning-quick response and ability to corner Jesus. But their success was not due to their planning or superior numbers. But it was because Jesus knew it was his hour. He knew the time to fulfill his mission had come. He was the one in control. He had chosen this time and this place to meet the religious leaders, and fulfill his mission to rescue mankind. Jesus is in control this whole time. You know, it reminds me of the story of one of the heroes of the Philippines, Benino Aquino. I was uh, in college at that time, and he had been fighting for reform there in the Philippines, and Marcos changed the constitution where it went from a democracy pretty much to an autocratic dictatorship. And 
because of health reasons, he was thrown in jail, but because of health reasons, he was allowed to be released and go to America. And he went there to Boston where he received life-saving heart surgery. And there he lived in Boston for three years, living in exile in the United States there, living there in the safety and comfort there in the United States with some of the best medical attention. Well, he came across a man named Charles Colson. Charles Colson was one of the men indicted and thrown in prison. He was President Nixon's hatchet man. And because of the Watergate scandal, he was thrown in jail. And in jail, Charles Colson became a Christian and became a powerful voice for the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministered to world leaders all over the world and began prison ministry fellowship. Pastor Rick was a part of. Well, Aquino and Charles Colson met, and Aquino read Charles Colson's biography, Born Again, and Aquino gave his life to Jesus Christ. Well, after three years of living in exile in the United States, what could have been a safe haven for him, for him, his wife, and children, for the rest of his life, he chose to leave the safety of America and return home to the Philippines to lead the movement for government reform and restore freedom again to the country of the Philippines. And knowing the danger that awaited him, he boarded the plane in America on the East Coast and made that long journey to Manila. And sitting on that plane, he probably knew his journey home, this would be his final hours. But unwaveringly, he chose to go back home to the Philippines. And upon landing, and I remember watching the video of the last moments of his life. I remember watching that video. Immediately, Filipino government soldiers entered the plane to escort him to a vehicle that was waiting at the bottom of the runway to take him off to prison. However, when he set foot on the runway, he was asked to kneel, and they executed him right there on the runway. And I remember... Seeing that, do any of you remember that? Just the uh, three of you. Okay, good. Any Filipinos in here, man? No? No Pinoy power tonight? Oh, man. Oh, we had Filipinos here. No? Hey, all right, be proud, man. Come on. <laughs> but, you know, I remember and how it felt that day, just the horror of seeing his body lying on the runway, you know, the anger of injustice, but also the despair as the hope of a nation for freedom seemed to have come to an end. And those are the very emotions the disciples of Jesus felt. And perhaps you feel as you start reading of the illegal arrest of Jesus here in John 18, the hopes of a nation that their Messiah has finally come, sin and death will be defeated, and the kingdom of God would be coming because the king has now arrived but now he is going to be arrested and taken away to be crucified. And, you know, Aquino's choice to return is similar to the choice Jesus made to leave the safety of Jerusalem and go to the outskirts of the city to the isolated garden there to meet his enemies, knowing exactly what his fate was going to be. The life application we learn is this that men will always continue to plot and scheme to thwart the plans of God.
but God's plans are never thwarted. What may seem a tragedy, God can use because he's always in control to bring about his purpose. As dark as the night may seem, God is working, using those situations in a way sometimes only he, he'll understand and, and sometimes the only way we'll understand maybe many years later to bring about his purpose. Here Jesus was still in charge, choosing the place, then secondly, choosing to meet his enemy instead of running. Jesus chose to meet his enemies here. Reads in verse 4, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. Verse 4 says, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. Being God incarnate, being God in the flesh, he knew exactly what was to take place. Nothing that was happening was not out of his control. So far from being a helpless victim, Jesus knew exactly what was going to occur. And instead of retreating in fear or trying to run, Jesus actually, the text says, stepped forward and met them and asked, who are you looking for? And it says in verse 5, Judas was standing there with him. It must have broke the heart of Jesus to see his friend there leading the mob to betray him and take him to prison. I talked to a friend just recently who was being, you know, taken to court and sued by his ex-wife. And he said, when I got into the courtroom, we were ready for a battle. But when I saw her, my heart just broke and I couldn't take another step. Here's someone I loved and spent years with. I wish he'd, she'd return home, but instead she was there to lay a lawsuit on me. And my heart just broke. I couldn't walk into that courtroom seeing her there. And that's how Jesus must have felt seeing Judas there leading this mob to come and arrest Jesus. Yet despite his broken heart and fear of seeing the mob, Jesus approached them. And he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And it says here, Jesus responded, says, I am he. And when he identifies himself, it says the men fell to the ground. Right now, the... In the NIV, it says, I am he, but the Greek literally reads, I am, ego emi, okay? And he said, I am, and they fell to the ground. Now, what happened here? Well, some people believe that Jesus was repeating the words from Exodus chapter 3, okay? When Moses asked God, what is your name? And God said, I am. And so some commentators feel when Jesus said, ego emi, or I am they knew what he was claiming, and those powerful words is what caused them to fall back. I don't particularly take that position, but that's a fine position to take. The reason I don't take that position is because in John chapter 8, he said the same thing, 
right? They said, who are you that you have authority over the law and all these things? Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, ego emi. Okay, and they didn't fall back. So I don't think that's what was happening there. I think what happened was this. I think the soldiers came out secretly at night to make this illegal arrest, and they thought they would be looking for a fleeing peasant running away. But instead, they were met by a commanding figure who, instead of running away, came to meet them and speaks to them with authority as they had never seen before. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call at 483-0586, or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh, <laughs>